Amen. Well, all right, if you have a Bible this morning, you can turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and if you want to get ahead of the game, you can go to verse 8, we'll get there in just a couple of minutes here, but Luke chapter 2, we'll start in verse 8, we're continuing this morning our series of Advent, because Christ has come, you and I are living in days of hope, not a think-so hope or a hope-so hope, but a no-so hope, right? And because Christ has come, you and I are living in days of peace because the Prince of Peace has come, as Isaiah said. Well, this morning I want to continue that and to tell you that because Christ has come, you and I are living in days of joy. Now listen, I get it, right? You say joy. Josh, have you turned on the news? Not a lot of joy out in the world right now. There's some wars going on. There's all kinds of craziness flooding the earth. You look in our own borders, and we've got uh, uh, leaders who aren't leading. We've got uh, confusion and craziness. Uh, and, and you might say this morning, listen, the world's on fire. There's no joy. You may say, hey, listen, Josh, you may be living in days of joy. I'm living in days of grief and sorrow, and depression, and anxiety, <clears throat> sickness, pain, or some other thing. You may, you may be here this morning, you may say, Josh, you may be living in joy, but my world's upside down. Let me encourage you this morning that you are living in days of joy. In spite of all those things, in spite of the world being on fire, in spite of your life being turned upside down, you still are living in days of joy to really understand this, because that still might sound to you like a contradiction. To understand this, we have to first understand what is joy. What is it? And so this morning, we're, I'm going to give you like the most basic definition that I can give you. Okay, this is this is really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to joy, but I think it conveys the point. I'm actually going to put the definition on the screen. If you want to write that down, you can. I encourage you to do so, but I'm going to tell you the definition. We're going to go back and break it down a little bit so we can understand joy before we hop into our text, okay? So here's what it says on the screen. Joy is a feeling of great gladness that springs from proper fellowship with God. It can only be produced by the Holy Spirit and cannot be conjured up by human effort. Okay, so let's break it down. Joy is a feeling of great gladness. So joy is a feeling, and it is a feeling of gladness. Now listen, typically when you and I talk about gladness, we're referring to the word happiness. And happiness and joy, while they are sort of tan tangentially related, they are very different from one another. They are not the same thing. You see, happiness is not rooted or doesn't spring from proper fellowship with God. Happiness is rooted in our ever-changing circumstances. So when your circumstances are good, you're happy. And when your circumstances aren't that great, you're not happy. This makes happiness very fragile. It's very fleeting. Because our uh, circumstances can change in an instant, so too can our happiness. And if you, were, if you looked at the happiness in your life, it probably is like a roller coaster. It's like, woo, way up here, oh, I'm way down here, right? 
because your circumstances are ever-changing. Joy is very different because joy, that gladness that comes within, does not rely on your ever-changing circumstances. It instead relies on an unchanging God. And so joy can actually be stable. The world can be on fire. Your life can be turned upside down. And you can still have joy because it's not rooted in those things. It's rooted in a proper fellowship with God. Now, fellowship implies relationship. Now, you might think, aren't those two things the same? No, they're not the same. So let's talk about it, okay? Fellowship versus relationship. The, the easiest way I can tell you how this works is uh, my wife and I, our firstborn, his name is Malachi. The relationship that I have with Malachi is one of father to son. There is nothing Malachi can do to change the relationship. There's nothing I can do to change the relationship. Malachi can change his name, disown me, change his identity, move halfway across the globe, and guess what? He's still my son. There's nothing he can do. The relationship is fixed, but our fellowship, that can change because fellowship speaks of relational closeness. It's like what a healthy relationship looks like. So if the relationship is here in the center, I can move away from that and, and break fellowship with my son, or my son can move away and break fellowship with me, or we both can move away from it, right? And we can ha not have great fellowship with one another. This is, where this, uh, this is where this breaks down a little bit, because God, because he doesn't change, he doesn't move. So when you're in a relationship with God, he doesn't ever move. So you're the only one that moves. But we do. We move away from God. We, when we don't pursue God, when we sin and don't repent from it, when we don't take God seriously, we, move, we pull away from God. And so what this says is that joy is a feeling of great gladness that comes in proper fellowship with God. So fellowship comes when you draw close to God. This is what David writes in Psalm 1611. He says, In your presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What David is saying is, I'm going to get real close to you, God. Because there is fullness of joy. I can have all kinds of joy if I just nuzzle up right next to you. And let me tell you something. If you want joy in your life, you got to get close to Jesus. you got to get close to God. You have to have that proper fellowship if you want to have joy in your life. It goes on, the definition goes on to say, it can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. You say, Josh, how do you know that? Because it says so in Galatians, okay? You, you, I, we don't have time, man. I would love to preach to you for like three hours today, you know? I know you don't want that, but I would love to do that to you. We don't have time to break down Galatians 5 this morning, but you should go home, honestly, and read Galatians chapter 5. It, Paul, does, Paul makes a great argument. What he says is that when you and I walk in the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God within us produces characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the list goes on. We call those the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit, you say, okay, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Walk in the Spirit just means that, hey, every day that I get up, I'm going to yield to the Spirit. The best picture we have in Scripture is when Jesus is in the garden, and he knows the cross is before him, and he goes to God and he says, God, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I really don't want to do this. But what does he say? But not my will. Your will be done. And that's, that's how we walk in the Spirit. We say, God, I don't want to live my life this way, but if you've commanded it, if you've said so, I'm going to do it. 
Because I'm, I'm going to yield to the Spirit. So as you and I yield to the Spirit, as we submit to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God draws us into fellowship with God and produces joy in our hearts. And so this morning, I want, to, I want you to be encouraged that no matter what's going on in your life, you can have joy. You can have joy. It just, it's going to take a little bit of work on your end. You're going to have to have a relationship with God. And you're going to have to walk in proper fellowship with God. Because the Holy Spirit's the only thing that can produce this. You can go out and you can jump into a new relationship and that will produce you a little bit of happiness, maybe. right? You can go and buy something and that might produce a little bit of happiness. There's nothing you can do on your own that will produce joy. Joy only comes from the Holy Spirit as you are walking in the Spirit, as you are having proper fellowship with God. Oh, that's the basic understanding of joy. Now, joy is bigger than this. It's more expansive than this. It's deeper than this. But I think you get the point, right? Joy is this great feeling that that wells up in our soul as we pull in close to God and the Holy Spirit produces it in us automatically as we pull close to God. All right. So with that understanding of what joy is, With that understanding of what joy is, we're going to jump into our text this morning, and I want you to see three truths about joy. I want you to see that joy is available to everyone. I want you to see that joy is a person, and that person is Jesus, and I want you to see that joy, when it overflows, it overflows into worship. Okay, so let's look at the text this morning. Um, We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and we're going to read down to verse 14, okay? This is what it says. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This morning what I want us to see uh, right from this jump is that joy is available to everyone. Joy is available to everyone. Look at verse 10. The angels come, they appear to the shepherds, and they say, hey, shepherds, we've got good news for you, and that good news is great joy, and that joy is for who? For all peoples. All peoples. I did a really extensive word study in Greek on that word all. You know what it means? It means all. It means all. Every person, right? All people, it's available to all. I want you to keep your place here in Luke chapter 2, and I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. All right, so just just a a book over, not too far from where you are now, but I want you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and I want you to get ready as I read verse 9. So John 15, verse 9. Nine. And what I, want you to, what I want you to think of here is this verse helps us connect a couple of dots. It helps us uh, to remember the definition that we just had with joy. It's, 
joy is, is produced with proper fellowship with God, but it also tells us that Jesus wants you to abound in joy. Like Jesus wants you to live a joy-filled life. All right, look at what it says here. John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, so abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Take a minute, take a breather. So Jesus said, the Father loved me, I love you, so abide in my love. Uh, okay, uh, Jesus, how do I abide in my love? Stop talking, I'm going to tell you, okay? He says, uh, if you follow my commandments, what happens? Well, then you will abide in my love, all right? So we've got to follow the commandments of God. All right, so um, he says, if you, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, this is great. These things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants you to have a joy-filled life. And what he says is a reaffirmation of what our definition was. He says, if you will keep my commandments, you will have joy. If you will follow after me, you will have joy. Uh, and so joy is available. Jesus says, I'm making joy available to you. And you might be here and you might say, Josh, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't really know me that well. You don't know my past. You don't know the things that are going on in my life. Let me tell you, joy is for you. Joy is for you. Sitting in the chair that you're sitting in, joy is for you. Think about the Christmas story. Think about Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, right? Mary and Joseph, they experienced some joy when Jesus was born, Right? Um, who were they? Uh, nobodies. Uh, they, they, were, they were young, teenage country folk. Like, they lived in the middle of nowhere in Nazareth, uh, and they were, they were teenagers. Like, we're, we're, we're like almost 100% sure that Mary was somewhere between the age of 13 and 17 when she gave birth to Jesus. Uh, with Joseph, oh, we don't really know. Uh, tradition states that they would try to get early, married early, so like somewhere between 17 and 20. He could have been in his early to mid-20s. We don't know. But we both, that's still young. They're both young, young country folk. That's it. Nothing special about them. Think about the shepherds. We, in our text here in Luke chapter 2, we see that they're shepherds. They're out in the field. They're keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel Lord comes to them and says, Hey, shepherds, I got good news. Great joy. Jesus is born. Let me tell you, shepherds, man, shepherds, they were at the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated, unskilled. They, were, they had this reputation about them as, uh, as dishonest, unreliable, unsavory. They were, they were lowly and humble characters. They were the outcasts. They were the losers. They were the rejected. They were the dumb ones. Guess what? Joy came for them too. Praise God, because that means joy can come for me, right? Um, joy came for the shepherds. But then if you drop down in Luke chapter 2, again, you should go read these stories. This is really great. We get the story of Simeon in verse 25 of chapter 2. We get the story of Anna in verse 36. So Jesus, at 40 days old, his parents take him to Jerusalem as per custom to offer sacrifices to God. And they run into these two characters, Simeon and Anna. And the Holy Spirit moves on both of them to reveal to them that this child is the Savior of the world. And they rejoice great. Listen, Simeon and Anna, they were old. They were like on their last, like last breath here. They were old. They were old city folk. They lived in the city. They lived in Jerusalem. Uh, and so, so joy came for even the old people, all the old city folk there. 
And then if you turn over to Matthew chapter 2, this is, this, is, this is fantastic. Because joy comes to the wise men. Now listen, Mary and Joseph, Jewish. the shepherds, probably Jewish. Maybe not all of them, but most of them probably Jewish. Simeon and Anna, very Jewish. Um, but the, Jesus didn't just come to bring joy to the Jewish people. He came to bring joy to everyone, including the Gentiles. These wise men found in their books, their record keeping, what the star meant. They chased after it and they go and they worship Jesus full of joy. Joy is available to everyone. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're smart or dumb. It doesn't matter if you live in the city or the country. Joy is available to all people. But it's not automatic. All right? Joy is available to all but it's not automatic. Again, this goes back to our definition. I know I'll keep hammering this home, but for you to experience joy, you have to have a relationship with God. You have to. You have to have a relationship with God through Jesus. You're like, check, I got that. I got the relationship. Well, good. Now you have to have proper fellowship with God. You have to really draw in close. And if you do that, joy is produced. Joy is produced. It's available to you. It's not automatic, but it is available. And that's why no matter what's going on in your life, whether you're at the top, whether you're at the bottom, somewhere in between, you can have joy. It's available to you. You just have to go get it. You have to go get it. So I want you to see this. Joy is available to everyone. But the next thing is joy is a person. Joy is a person. And that person is Jesus. Look at this. Look, go back to verse 10, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Let's go back there. This is our setup verse, right? The angels come to the shepherds and they say, listen, shepherds, we have good news for you. It's great joy to all people. And the shepherds are like, what is the news? What is the news? Well, what's the news in verse 11? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the news. This is the news that today, today in the city of David in Bethlehem, uh, Jesus is born. Now listen, because, we like to, because we're just busy, you know, and we're trying to get from one thing to the next thing. We typically do this in the Bible too, me too. I read the Bible, and it's like a speed read. You know, you just kind of read it. Or, or we get real familiar with the passage. Like, this isn't the first time you've heard this passage, let's be honest, right? And, and a lot of times what happens is we miss details because we've heard it so often, or we miss details because we're just going fast to get to the next thing, right? Slow down and look at verse 11. Look at how the angel describes Jesus. It's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. For unto you, this day in the city of David, is born a Savior. That's one. One title. A, the Christ. That's another title. And then the Lord. All three titles. There is almost no time. I think there's like one or two other times where Jesus is described in this way. I want you to see each of these titles helps us to understand joy in a bigger and better way. Let's take the first one there, Savior. Jesus is our Savior. He is the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. This is, this is incredible. I don't know if you know this, but God has a plan for your life. And God's plan for your life is perfect. And if you would just dwell in God's plan for your life, you would be... Um, so fulfilled. You'd be so satisfied. You would want for nothing if you would just live in God's plan for your life. But, me too, we all depart from God's plan, don't we? We all say, sayonara, chasing after something else, and that's called sin. And sin leads us to a real place called brokenness. 
And we all know what brokenness feels like. Brokenness is shame and regret, and we all hate brokenness. We don't like feeling broken. And so what do we do? We, we, we try to chase after the, the counterfeit of joy, which is happiness. And so what do we do? We try to be happy. Let's just go be happy all the time. I'll go uh, party with my buddies. I'll go work really hard and get this bonus. You know, I'll spend lots of time with my family and find my, my fulfillment in my family. All kinds of things. But we talked about in the beginning, happiness is fleeting. So yeah, for a moment, you feel like, hey, this is great. Life is great. Life is good. Right? And then the happiness wears off or the circumstances change. And where are you back at? You're back in brokenness all over again right? And that stinks, right? But there's good news. And that's what the angel says here. I got good news. I've got great news. You don't have to live in brokenness. You don't have to live in brokenness because there's one who has come, who was born in the city of David, who has come to save you from your sins and to put your life back together. You see, the truth is, is that God sent Jesus to be born to die. But he didn't just stay dead because God the Father rose him from the dead. And, and that gave Jesus the unique power and authority to take the broken pieces in your life and put them all back together again. If you would repent to turn from your sin, go a different direction. I'm going to do life differently. And if you would believe in Jesus, that Jesus lived a perfect life, the life that you and I couldn't live, that he died the death that each and every one of us deserved, and that God rose him from the dead, giving him the power to put together your life. If you believe that and you repent from your sin, God will start to put together the broken pieces of your life and put you back in his plan where there's fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy. He's our Savior. And listen, if, if, if remembering that Christ is your Savior doesn't give you some joy, there's something wrong, okay? There's something wrong. You're way out of fellowship or you don't even have a relationship at all, right? This is good news that Jesus is our Savior. Now listen, I'm going to give you a pass this morning. If you thought Christ was Jesus' last name, I'm going to give you a pass, okay? Christ was not Jesus' last name, okay? All right? Jesus had one name, and it was Jesus, okay? That was his name, all right? But a lot of times we call Jesus Jesus Christ, and we think that's his last name. It's not his last name, okay? Christ is a title. It means Messiah. It means anointed one, it means that he is the one placed in high office of exaltation and honor. He has been appointed by God. Appointed by God for what? He's been appointed by God to be the king of kings. Now listen, when Jesus came here, he came as a baby to be born to die. We know the Bible says Jesus is coming back. And he ain't gonna be, he's not coming back to die again. He's coming back as king to rule and reign. He will be the king of kings, king of all kings. One day, we are going to sit at Jesus' feet as he rules and reigns of all earth and then all of heaven. He is going to be the coming king. Jesus has been appointed by God as king of kings, but he's also been appointed by God as you and I, as our great high priest. Now, this doesn't mean anything to you because we don't have priests, right? But this is a pretty big deal. What that means, what that means is that he is the one that mediates between us and God. So listen, listen, check this out. The devil, so picture courtroom, right? Devil, Jesus, God's on the, on the throne. Devil goes to God and he says, listen, this person has sinned. This person has done terrible things. This person is wicked. They lied. They cheated. They did this. And, and he's hurling all these accusations about you to the judge who is God the Father. And while he's doing this, Jesus stands up 
And he says, stop, stop. And he tells the judge, hey, the one he's talking about, he's one of mine. And God says, okay, valid point, let's move on. Right? Because the enemy is trying to, trying to pull you down, trying to hurl all these things at you. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. They have a relationship with you through me, so we're good. That's what Jesus does. He's our mediator. We need him to do that. This is really good news, right? But he also, so, so God anointed Jesus to be the king of kings, the great high priest, but he also anointed God to be this prophet. Jesus is not just a prophet, but he did prophesy. He did come and, and proclaim God's message to the people. And so because of all these things, right, God is the king of kings. He is the great high priest. He is the prophet. You and I can have joy. We can have joy as he fills all these different roles. And then we get to the last title. And this just kind of hits, hits the nail on the head. And the angel says, the Lord. Now the Lord is the holy, unspeakable, personal name of God. The one with all power, and authority. If the other two were vague about Jesus' divinity, this one is not. The angels are telling the shepherds, this baby that is born is God in flesh. He is God. Uh, the angels say it. And he has all power and all authority. Here's the thing. You and I can have joy because Jesus was born to die. The Father then raised him from the dead so that we could be delivered from our sins. And one day he will return to rule and reign on David's throne forever. I want you to think about it. You don't have to turn there. Again, this is great. You should go home and read Hebrews chapter 12. But it starts off by saying this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Check this out. For for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that while the cross for Jesus was not a happy experience, no one would say that, it was a joyful experience. Why? Because he was fighting a battle that was already won. By doing this, Jesus conquers hell and death and sin and shame, and it was worth it. And this is why when James writes in James chapter 1, and he says, um, count it all joy when you face, uh, uh, face different uh, trials and tribulations, this is why that can hold true. That can, that's why I can tell you that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You can have joy. If Jesus had this, uh, this great gladness in his soul, in his being, while he was on the cross, you too can experience great joy and great gladness no matter what you're going through. Joy is a person, and that person is Jesus. All right, quickly, you guys are not listening fast enough. Joy, when it overflows, it overflows into worship. I want you to see this. This is, this is, pretty, this is pretty neat. The word joy in all its various forms, joyful, joyous, and so on, they appear uh, just over 200 times in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a common theme from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Joy can be found all throughout your Bible, okay? But I want you to look at verse 10 again. Because verse 10 is such a great verse, guys. You guys don't understand. Uh, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of joy. Is that what it says? 
No. Great joy. This is where it gets interesting. That phrase, great joy, is actually only used about 10 times in Scripture. So I was like, okay, well, what's the difference? Great joy is when your cup has been so overflown with joy that it's spilling over. That's what great joy is. And that, when that happens, when great joy happens, it leads to worship. So I want you to think about this. You say, okay, Josh, I believe you. Joy is available for me. All I got to do is seek after God. Got it. Let me, try, let me do that. So let's say you go home. And you say, hey, today's the day I'm getting right with God. I'm going to do this thing. And every day this week, you, you, you do everything you can. You're, you're reading your Bible. You're memorizing scripture. You're listening to Christian music. You're surrounding yourself with Christian people. You're praying. You're doing all these things to try to help draw you into God, right? And so because you're doing that, I'm telling you, this is just a fact. This is going to happen when you do this. The Holy Spirit is, is going to be, begin to start putting a little bit of joy in the cup of your soul. So just think about your soul as a cup. And, and the Holy Spirit just puts a little bit in there. And you continue, man. You continue going after it with God. So the Holy Spirit, he puts a little bit more in there. And he puts a little bit more. And he puts a little bit more. And he puts a little bit more. Now your cup is full. So you think the Holy Spirit stops? Nope. He keeps putting it in. And what happens? It's flowing out everywhere. When you put water in a cup, I almost did this. I almost brought like a cup here and a pitcher and put water in it and did all this stuff. I almost did it. Okay, but when you do that, you can visibly see the water gushing over the side of the cup. It's something you can see with your eyes. It's the same is true with joy. When this Holy Spirit puts that much joy into you, other people are going to see it and you're going to respond in some sort of way. I want you to see this. This is really great. All right, we're going to start here in Luke chapter 2, okay? Luke chapter 2, how do people respond with this great joy? Look at, look at uh, verses 13 and 14. Look at the angels. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and, good, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And so the angels are filled with joy. And what are they doing? They're singing this song in the, in, in the fields here, lighting up the sky with the glory of God because of great joy. So then, okay, well, what do the shepherds do? Drop down to verse 20. This is great. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Great joy, you know what it produced in them? It produced glorifying and praising God. We don't have time to turn there, but there's other times great joy is used. Remember I told you that? In Matthew, this is, okay, listen. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angels say great joy, right? Check this out. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, so 2.10, right? The wise men are looking for Jesus, and they're following a star. You guys know the story? Well, I don't know if you've tried to, like, track stars before. I haven't. Well, maybe I did when I was little, but you get the point. They looked up in the star, they sky, they saw the stars, and they kept going every night. Are the stars visible every night? No, of course they're not. No, cloud coverage, all these different things make stars invisible. So what's implied in verse 10 is that the star ha had not been seen for a night or two. And then the star shows back up. And guess what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10? That they were filled with great joy. And then the very next verse, in verse 11, guess what they're doing? They're at the feet of Jesus, giving him gifts and worshiping and bowing down before him. This is incredible. Same phrase, same chapter, same verse, different book. It's like someone put this all together, right? All right, think about it. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter uh, 28, um, 
Jesus has been crucified. He's been put in the tomb. The tomb has been sealed. Uh, Mary and Mary go uh, to check in on the dead remains of Jesus. They get there, and guess who they see? They see an angel. And the angel says, good news for you. Uh, he ain't here. He rose from the dead. And guess what the Bible says they experienced? Great joy. Great joy. And so they run back with all this great joy that they have to go tell the disciples uh, uh, what they had just experienced. And guess who shows up before they can get to the disciples? Jesus. And you know what happens when Jesus shows up? He says one word to them, rejoice. And guess what they do? They get down on their knees and they start praising God because they are filled with great joy. Then if you look at Luke chapter 24, Jesus has, been, has risen from the dead. He's appeared to all these people and he's about to ascend back into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And guess what? He's telling his disciples, hey, I'm leaving you. Uh, there's going to be one that comes for, for you and he's ascending. And guess what? How the, how the joy is described with the disciples. It's described as great. It says the disciples seeing Jesus ascend into heaven, they are filled with great joy. And you know what it says? It says that the disciples went on continually praising and blessing God because of great joy. Man, I don't know about you. I want some great joy. Like, I want the joy. Don't get me wrong. I do want that too. Like, I want to start there. That's cool. But I want to get to the point where I'm involuntarily worshiping God. Like, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not having to try at it. It's just happening because there's so much joy in my soul that floods over, and, and I'm just worshiping and praising God uh, in the moment. Listen, I encourage you to do a word study and go look at the other times. They're just as great. Uh, there's times in the Old Testament where great joy is used, and you can look and see how people respond. There's a couple more times in the New Testament. Great joy. Great joy leads to great worship. Listen, the goal is to continually draw close to God so the Holy Spirit may fill your joy, which leads to an explosion of praise and worship. Listen, this Christmas, the world is on fire, right? Your life, it may be turned upside down, or it may be starting to tilt in that direction. You may be this morning dealing with great grief, dealing with pain, and depression, discouragement, and all these different things. Let me encourage you this morning. We are living days of joy. Jesus has come, and he's won the battle. You and I are fighting a battle that's already been won. It's already been won. It's already taken care of. One day, you will be face-to-face -face with Jesus, and there will be no more sin, no more shame, no more crying, no more cancer, no more difficulties, and your cup will run over with joy. Listen, joy is available for you today. It's found in Jesus, and it leads to a life of worship. Amen? Amen. Listen.